Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. It's my head. I, I know you don't believe me. Sometimes if I step forward, it helps a little bit. How we doing? Good. Glad you got uh, all your attention. That's just a trick to make sure you're paying attention. Thinking a little bit about putting first things first in the new year and how that works. And we talked last week about our reality and what it means for us to trust in the fact that we can be born again. We can be changed. That the message of the gospel is that you can be born again. You can start over. You can have a fresh start and a new beginning. And then you don't go out into life by yourself, but you go with a living hope. The presence of God with us, to walk with us, to be the strength in our weakness. But we have to ask. We have to be attuned to that. We have to have a worldview and a perspective that that's our reality. We, we live like that. We think like that. We engage like that. They were talking about a deeper commitment, about your commitment and what that looks like and how that journey. So this, is a, this will be a great sample today of what happens. I, I just want you to know that, you know, I've uh, gone to school for this. And uh, I've studied some of the great theological minds in history. And I, I, I you know, initiated into the process at, at a level where Sometimes reading the books meant actually uh, reading the book with a dictionary because I was so unfamiliar with how complex the language of theology is that I literally would sit and have to, you know, look up every word, every word in the paragraph. (laughs) And after all of that, still today is a perfect example of how simple-minded I am. Because, thank you. Because somehow it's the simple things that resonate in my soul that I can hang on to. Sometimes when the the ideas get too big and too overwhelming and too theological in nature, I, I can't sort them in a practical way. I think about this reality that in our tradition, which by the way, if you don't know your, you know, church tree, uh, how we all came down the, the pipe, you know, way back there, there was the New Testament church, and, and then Constantine created the Holy Roman Catholic Church, the universal church that was the Church of Christ, and then that lasted until about the ninth or 10th century, and we had an east-west split, and then we had Eastern Orthodox and Western, the, the Eastern Western, everybody fascinated by this? Good. <laughs> and they divided over deep, deep issues of the nature of the Holy Spirit, and the nature of the Trinity, things that we don't even discuss, really, because we're like, I don't know. (laughs) And then, uh, you know, in 1517, Martin Luther and the beginning of the Protestant movement and the protesting folks, and out of that, we got a lot of folks out of there, the Presbyterians and the Baptists and, you know, uh, the Lutherans, and there's a lot of those Protestant churches that come out at the... And then the Church of England creates the Anglican Church, 
and then out of the Anglican church comes Methodism. And so this particular church comes out of Methodism and that's a lot. It's a lot going on on the family tree. But since we sort of parted ways with some of the more high church structures, we, we don't feel as comfortable praying other people's prayers. Over on this side of the tree, we're very extemporaneous in our praying. In fact, sometimes if you go to church and somebody pulls out a prayer to read, you'd be like, what is going on? It's so weird. They wrote down their prayer before they said it. I don't know if the Holy Spirit can hear a prayer like that. I'm very confused by what's happening right now. I just had to bubble out of your heart. And because of that, in our tradition, we often don't read or share or pray some of the great prayers of history, whether it's St. Francis of Assisi or, uh, or Thomas Aquinas. We, we just don't necessarily do all of that. We do, thankfully, hang on to some of the New Testament prayers. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. We feel very comfortable repeating that prayer. But corporate prayer in a tradition has actual power. And sometimes when we think about the Psalms, it turns out that what David is writing very often in the Psalms are prayers. He's writing the passionate, raw nature of his prayer. If you want a great experience in your personal devotional life and reading the Word, pray the Psalms. Don't just read them, pray them. Now, not every one of them is a prayer, but I think you'll find a very rich experience because David talks about the real nature of what it means to be a human being and, and the agony that goes with it and, and the, the times of doubt and fear and the times of celebration and, and, and pray the Psalms. They're, they're, they're powerful. One of those is the 139th. And in the 139th Psalm, there is this powerful prayer and I, I think it matters. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Search me, O oh God, and know my thoughts. Know my anxious thoughts. Test me in this. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me. That's not a bad prayer to pray as individuals. As we think about what is our commitment, we don't just get born again and have the presence of God. We actually are headed somewhere. We're going somewhere. We actually pray a fervent prayer. I want to get better. I want to change. I want to be in transition. I want to be growing. I want to be getting deeper. I want to be getting stronger. I want to be getting, can I say it out loud, smarter. More loving and more lovable. <laughs> Amen? Amen? Looking for all of that. All of that. Is that a part of your daily life? Is that a part of your daily understanding? Is that how you feel when you wake up in the morning? Is that the commitment? I'm pray, search me, O oh God. And I love this prayer because I think at an individual level it really resonates, but at a corporate level it's even more important. At a corporate level, as we pray it together, <laughs> then suddenly we're shifting our focus. We're shifting our focus from looking at each other and trying to judge how everybody's doing in their journey. Not that churches do that. We're shifting our focus from looking at each other to looking up. We're, we're confiding in one another a confidence. Here's, here's what we're confident of as a body of Christ. We are asking the creator of the universe who has allowed us to be born again and promises to go with us and have his strength made perfect in our weakness, we're inviting him to search us. We're, we are inviting ourselves to be accountable to him to do work in us. 
collectively, <laughs> all of us. It's a powerful thing when we pray it corporately, when we, when we pray it in community, when we begin to ask God to seek and search and get to our hearts. If you were to go to Rome this morning, you would probably want to visit the Vatican. Just as a show of hands online, you can show hands, we won't know. But how many of you have been to the Vatican? That's a pretty good number of people. So let's talk for a minute about the Vatican. The Vatican sits on Vatican Hill. Vatican Hill was Vatican Hill a long time before the Vatican sat on it. In fact, the Vatican is named for the fact that it sits on the ancient Vatican Hill. And Vatican Hill has a big history. It's outside the seven hills. It's not one of the seven hills of the Rome. It's adjacent across the river. But it's been a prominent place and a highly desirable place because it is a hilltop. And because of that, it attracted royalty. Nero claimed Vatican Hill. It was his personal space, as was so much of uh, the area around Rome. And so he built Nero's Circus on Vatican Hill. Now, Nero's Circus was, uh, you know, sort of the secondary place for all the great events. Circus Maximus, over by the Forum, was the central place of all of the great events until a little incident happened, and that was the Great Fire of Rome. In the Great Fire of Rome, Circus Maximus was destroyed, and so Nero's circus remained as now the central corporate place for events in the city. In 64 AD, when the persecution of Nero began, somewhat as a result of the fire, it was at Vatican Hill, at Nero's circus, that the Christians were martyred. The tradition was that once a Christian was martyred, they were carried outside the walls of the circus and they were buried there. When Constantine converted to Christianity in the fourth century, he realized that on that site, just outside of Vatican Hill, were a set of tombs that were dedicated to the martyrs, and one of those martyrs was Peter. And so in the fourth century, Constantine built the first basilica in honor of Peter. That lasted until the 16th century when that building was replaced with the building you now see as St. Peter's Basilica. And if you've ever been there, wow. I mean, that is a church. I mean, that is a church. I, somewhere in all of my digital photos, I have a photo of every one, uh, you know, of those domes. And I don't know, there must be 16 or 20 of them in one church. We, we don't have any domes in here at all. Not even one. It's not bad, is it? From fisherman to saint. I mean, how does a little boy from Capernaum, who's an uneducated fisherman, end up a saint? We know that Constantine, when he converted to Christianity, that he, he basically built a retaining wall around Vatican Hill and he leveled it off because what he had in mind was a basilica that was so grand that it needed more real estate than could be provided on that hilltop. And we know uh, that it wasn't until 1939 when one of the popes died that they decided to 
open a crypt underneath the altar of St. Basilica's church where they discovered the retaining wall that Constantine built and they broke through that wall. And it led them into a series of crypts and along the way they found an old wall that had a little bit of graffiti written on it and that graffiti in somewhat questionable Greek says, Peter lies here. I don't know if you know this, but if you arrange it in advance, you can go down. One of the things they found there was something called the Trophy of Gaius, which was the very first temple that was built in honor of Peter's martyrdom. I'm just saying, there's a really interesting historical connection between that hill, that Vatican that we think, oh, they just stuck it there and Peter and whatever. I'm just saying, that little fisherman ended up a saint, and what happened? It's a vivid, vivid image of a person, just a normal, everyday person who takes prominence in the New Testament. And he's not exactly a winner. And I want to be fair to Peter, but Peter wears his failures like no other disciple. In fact, if I asked you to tell me stuff about the disciples, you'd be like, uh, Judas took some money. Uh, I think Matthew wrote a gospel. But really, who do we know stuff about? Peter. We know what he said. We know what he did. We know where he went. We know how he messed up. We know he got out of the boat. We know he sank because he couldn't trust Jesus. Peter. Of course, Peter was the only one out of the boat. <laughs> we know Peter betrayed Jesus. Of course, Peter was the only one there. He keeps putting him, I mean, he gets, puts himself out there. He goes big and he fails big. And somehow in the course of his life, he goes from being a simple fisherman to being regarded as a saint. And we see his, that we watch it. We watch him develop into this fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, this powerful person. Are we on a similar journey? We probably won't end up saints, but are we on a similar journey? Jesus in Matthew 13 described the journey like this, and this is where it gets simple-minded. I can get this. The Word of God is like a farmer who goes out into his field and he scatters seed. And some of the seed falls on rocky soil and, and, and on hard soil, and the birds come and eat it, and it doesn't have a chance to take root. And some of it falls on rocky soil, and it springs up quickly, but the sun comes and scorches it, and it dies out. Some falls among the weeds, and the weeds choke it out, but some finds fertile soil. And there the seed, it bears a hundred, or sixty, or thirty times. Isn't that an exciting thing? I can get that. I can get that. So that it seems like the theology of Jesus is pretty simple. The gospel seed gets planted in willing hearts because we repent and we ask God to forgive us and plant this seed in us, and then it grows stuff. And we've got to be careful because we can be shallow. Matthew 13, 23, if you wanted to have the whole interpretation of the parable. Some of us have hard hearts and the seed gets stolen away. We, we sit in church, we go, I, I, I wish, I hope, I think, maybe, but I got to go. And it gets stolen away. For some of us, it gets choked out. But as we nurture the seed in us, there is fruit that is growing. There is a promise that as we allow this process to take place, there's growth, there's fruit, there's transformation, there's change. I wish it was instantaneous, and sometimes it is, 
But for so many of us, it's, we are works in progress. Amen? Amen? And we ought to own that. We ought to own it. As tried as it sounds, we ought to own it. Sometimes I have the chance to mentor pastors, and I try always to use this phrase. When you know what you're doing, you are a danger to yourself and others. And that doesn't just apply to pastors. We are children in pursuit. We are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. We pray, search me, O God, and know my heart. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I don't want to spend my life on things that don't count. I don't want to spend my life on things that don't matter. I want to grow up. Peter, exposed to this teaching of Jesus, adopts this theology. This seed theology becomes a piece of him. It becomes a part of his understanding. So on the day of Pentecost, when, he, when, when they spill out of the upper room, being powered by the Holy Spirit, he begins to talk to them about repentance, about what it means to empty your heart of all the old garbage and to let in the seed that counts and to live in a way where the Holy Spirit goes with us and grows us. So let me just stop the whole thing and ask you this. Is there a level of understanding in your heart, in your mind, in your spirit, in your practice that is daily that says, I'm a work in progress. Search me, O God. Plant this seed in me and let it grow fruit. I I think sometimes Jesus must have said, and and sometimes it finds good soil and it grows a hundred times. And I think he must have looked at the crowd and goes, or 60. I mean, do you ever wonder why, why it's a declining? It's, it was 160 and 30. I think he was, he was looking at the crowd. He's going, and it's 100 times. Or 60. <laughs> or 30. <laughs> but it's disproportionate. How does a fisherman become a saint? Because the growth of the fruit of the Spirit in us is disproportionate to our abilities or to who we are or to where we came from. And that's good news. But how many of us make that a part of our conscious daily first thing first that we do every day? God, I'm a work in progress, and I would love it if by the end of this day I am in a better place than where I started it. And that's my expectation. That's my understanding. All of this development of Peter's theology now comes through the letter. It's what he writes. Once he's invited and asked them to be a part of this new birth with a living hope. Now he says this. 1 Peter 1, 22. Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Did you see what happened there? You got something. You prayed. You repented. You received. Now nurture it. Now really do well at it. Be good at it. Get better and better at it. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, of hypocrisy, envy, 
and slander of every kind, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. That's a fairly powerful summation, isn't it? I mean, that's a fairly powerful sort of call. So I see three things that we can highlight here. Number one, we are to sow the seed. Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth, respond deeply from the heart. There's this powerful reality and imagery that you and I are invited to plant seeds in our soul. This is where it gets simple-minded. I understand this. This makes sense to me. I mean, we could talk about theories of atonement, and we could talk about, you know, all kinds of things, theologically speaking, about what happens in repentance and transformation, but I get this. My heart and soul is a garden. It grows stuff. Amen. Sometimes I get in the garden, I go, where did that come from? Amen. And there's an invitation. And the invitation is, you can go ahead and plant in your garden imperishable seed. I think I've told you this before and used this illustration before, but I like it and it's my story, so I can tell it to you again. My dad was a gardener. My upbringing was full of gardens. My grandparents lived just a few miles from us on a place called The Ranch. I don't know why it was called The Ranch, although at different times there were various kinds of livestock and animals that lived at the ranch. But mostly what the ranch was was a garden. The front yard was a garden, and the side yard was a garden, and the backyard was a garden. It was the largest garden I had ever seen. And as if that garden down the street from our house wasn't enough, my dad planted our backyard as a garden, a giant garden. I was free labor for the garden. (laughs) Some people get excited about fresh produce from the garden. I do not get excited (laughs) about fresh produce from the garden. Some people are like, won't you want a fresh tomato from the garden? No. In fact, I do not like tomatoes. Oh, you don't like tomatoes. How's that possible? I was free labor for the garden. And so the garden was a a, a very real part of my life all of the time. All of the time. Until my dad passed away, he had a garden. Now, I didn't always have to work in it. but. And so in the spring, it was fine. The garden didn't need a lot of help and didn't need any of my help because I had no expertise. All the expertise belonged to my dad, and so he got everything planted, and he did. I didn't come on for my, you know, term of labor until the dog days of summer until late July and August when everything started getting ripe. Then it was my job to pick things out of the garden. Two big jobs, pick things out of the garden and keep the weeds out of the garden. These were my jobs, both miserable jobs. And so, you know, you, you know, long about August, getting into early September, you have given away all of the cucumbers and tomatoes and okra that you can give away. People have had, they don't want it anymore. Everybody's garden is, nobody wants free produce anymore. It is not a thing. So then you're into canning and putting up things and making imaginary stuff that smells awful. And (laughs) I'm not making this up. 
as a boy, I prayed for an early frost. <laughs> Amen? I mean, you know, what 10-year-old boy pays attention to the weather? Cold front coming. Think it's going to freeze. Because, you know, if you live in a place that's not a temperate climate like this, the first freeze kills the garden. It's dead, dead. Like one night of good freezing temperature, and it is dead. It is glorious. <laughs> I mean, within days, every single thing in that garden is brittle and brown and dead, and nothing's growing, and it's, uh, it looks like nuclear winter over there. And then my dad doesn't go out there anymore. And you have a respite from first freeze until spring. You don't do anything in the garden. The garden is dead now. We don't touch it. And my dad would not go out there again. He just didn't mess with it. And I say, Dad, it's a mess out there. It's awful. Well, you, you forced me in the heat of the summer to keep it looking good. And now it's just a disaster. Yeah, it'll be fine. And my dad would say this. In the spring, we'll turn it all under. And it'll be good food for the new garden. I think that image is what Peter is describing to those people. Your pain, what you've been through, the uncertainty, the hurt, what people did to you, what you did, what you chose. The invitation of the gospel is this. Let me turn that under. And I will use all of that. I won't waste a single ounce of it. I will use it as food for the good fruit that I want to grow in you. Plant the imperishable seed. So Peter says, sow the seed. Allow your heart to turn under whatever is broken. Allow your heart to, to be renewed. Allow the soil to be fresh. Allow yourself to let go of what's broken. Allow yours. I get this image. I don't know all the other mystical talk or psychological talk, but I get this. God, search me, oh God, and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We need to sow the seed. Number two, we need to weed the garden. He says, I, I want you then to get rid of some things. Watch out. <laughs> get rid of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. I'm going to need to weed some things out of the garden. I need to be vigilant, and I need to be honest, and I need to say, this is not good for the garden. There are things growing in us that do not contribute to our loving ourselves, or loving God, or loving each other. Amen? Amen. And as Christian folks, we are vigilant to go, it's not enough that I got the seed in me. I got to nurture this seed. I, I'm going from where I am to where God intends me to be, his will done in me on earth as it is in heaven. I'm going somewhere. I'm not going to stay where I am. And in that process, there's some things that I'm going to go, yep, that doesn't belong there. It just doesn't belong there. It's not producing the fruit that is in keeping with the Spirit. I've got I to gotta yank it out. And he says malice. That's a big word. It's a big word that basically means, sometimes you read this passage and it says evil. Get rid of evil or malice. It's just a big overarching heading that says, I'm going to get rid of anything that's not good for my soul. It's not good for my love for God. It's not good for my love for self. And it's not good for my love for others. I got to get busy about this loving each other as Christ loved us. I got to do it. And anything that mitigates against that is evil. It's malice. Maybe we could say it in the reverse. <laughs> Some of our hearts bear fruit that we don't want. It's not serving us well. 
Some of our souls are bearing fruit of sadness and depression, anxiety, fear, worry, hatred. It's easy in our culture to hate. It's a culture that runs on hatred. It runs on opposition. It runs on conflict. So much so that it sometimes feels like that the church is trying to match the malice of the culture in order to keep up. You've heard it said, love those who love you, but I say love your enemies. Love those who persecute you. You're a stranger in this world. A pilgrim, a sojourner. You don't live by the same rules. There's a deeper commitment. There's a different thing going on. We put other things first than anybody else in the, because we know that a lot of things that is generating so much of the malice in our culture and our world is temporary. It's just temporary. And we've had imperishable seed planted in us. So malice, and, and then he kind of breaks that down and defines a little bit, deceit. That's where we're, we're doing stuff in order to further our own cause without being, we're using people. And then hypocrisy. We pretend to be better than we are because we want to further our own story as opposed to being surrendered to the greater cause of God in the world. Uh, sometimes we use religion like that, don't we? God, I got a whole agenda of things I want to accomplish and I want you to accomplish and I'm praying that you would help me accomplish them. You know, what does the scripture say? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added. It's not that God doesn't care about our story and he doesn't care about our individual needs. It's that he says, don't get the priority messed up because once you choose this small story for your life, then it's hard to feel good. It's hard to feel good. Now you'll have good days and bad days, amen? But a lot of days you'll be so lost in your story that you'll have a hard time feeling good about the world and life. So seek first the kingdom of God because you're a part of deep time and deep truth. You're part of a much bigger story in which your story matters and God cares about it. But it's not the whole story. It's just a piece of the story. So we get rid of hypocrisy. And then he says envy. That's where we, we see other people and we believe they have it better than us. And it makes us upset when somebody gets something good. I'm glad none of us struggle with that. And then, of all things, slander of every kind. <sighs> Actually, if you just parse out the Greek here, it says gossiping that leads to slander of every kind. Gossiper is... <laughs> gossiping is our secret pleasure. You know, when we get a little nugget about somebody and something... Now, I shouldn't say anything. And I'm only telling you this because I'm concerned about them. Let me tell you something. More people have been thrown under the bus in prayer requests. Oh, would you pray for my friend? Let me tell you what happened to them. And I'm always amazed because this thing, gossiping, slander, you know, divisiveness, factions... It shows up in almost every one of these lists. I mean, it's right up there. It's right up. We go, oh, well, you know, gossiping, slander. That's just a venial. That's just a venial for the Catholic. That's just a venial sin. It's not a mortal sin. It's a little one. 
Just a major baby sin. It's a little sweet. We gotta we gotta pluck these things out of the garden. The garden has to get weeded in order to bear the fruit that God intends us to bear. And then he says, not only are we to weed the garden, but number three, we're to feed the fruit. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tested, tasted that the Lord is good. In other words, he says, here's my experience. I tried a lot of stuff in life. I tried a lot of stuff that I thought would make me happy. I tried a lot of stuff that I thought was going to solve the problems. But when the seed of God was planted in my heart, when all that old stuff got turned under, listen, it wasn't a perfect journey. I started and failed and I, I, I repented and there were some, you know, there's a lot of things that had to get weeded and there's a lot of things that got, and, and there were other things later that had to get turned under. But I, I'm just telling you right now, I can tell you that once I tasted that the Lord was good, that he intended good for me, he intended good for my life and my journey and my psyche and my emotions and my mentality and, and my relationships. When I, when I tasted that it wasn't what everybody said it was, it wasn't about religion, it was about a personal relationship with a loving God that was going with me to teach me to genuinely love him and to love myself and to love others to be a fully integrated human being at the highest level of what it means to be human, engaged fully, mentally, emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually. And I said, that's good. And I wanted more. I wanted more. And so I disciplined my life around this wanting more. I made myself a student of the Word. I made myself a student of prayer. I, I made myself a student of the good things because I eat a lot of things that upset my stomach. Amen? Amen? And so I have this other space in which I crave pure spiritual milk because it feeds the deep things of my soul. Do you think about such things? It's a simple theology that Peter adopted. I got the seed in me. It's growing fruit. I'm nurturing the seed. I make sure it's okay. I do it every day all the time. I don't know how it turns out. Somehow I ended up, I was a fisherman from a little town called Capernaum. Nobody knew me. I didn't have a great education. There's a basilica in Rome <laughs> that bears my name. In fact, I think it says St. Peter's Basilica. That's not a bad move, is it? And I wonder what God has in mind for your story in your life. A hundred or 60 or 30 times what was planted in us. We're going to close, and I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer corporately with me. And we'll probably have to do it more than once because I did it at 9 a.m., and this is what people did. So find your voice. Because it matters that we pray the prayer, but it matters that we pray the prayer corporately together. Bow your heads with me. God, we give you thanks that you open your word to us, that you invite us into an understanding of what it means to be a part of the gospel, and that you speak it in such a way that it is accessible to us. There's no doubt that 
getting into the complexities of all the things and terms and all of that stuff has a place, but somewhere at this ground level of practical living, we recognize that in this place today, joining us online, maybe in the overflow, maybe sometime during the course of this week, there are folks that need to just turn under some old, dead, painful stuff. To just take a deep breath and let it go. Let it go. Let it go. You've promised that the planting of the seed is very simple. We repent. We confess. We believe and we receive you into our hearts. This imperishable seed replacing all that other stuff that's gotten planted there. And for some of us, the seed was planted long ago, but maybe it was shallow ground and it's withered a bit. Maybe it's been choked out by lots of other things and we've failed to put first things first. With the best of intention, we're trying to take care of business, do our part, be self-reliant, take care of our responsibility. But somewhere we've lost sight of the fact that we're to seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness. So we want to weed some things out of the garden, around the room, online, through the week. Your Holy Spirit's very specific. Pull this weed, this one. Let's get rid of this one. Let's take that out. This isn't serving you well. It's choking out good things in your heart and life and mind and spirit. And help us on a daily basis to crave pure spiritual milk, to be people of the Word. Maybe we start today to pray the Psalms, just engaging with hearts and minds and spirits who have been on this same journey with the Word of God planted in our hearts and, and growing fruit that's a hundred or sixty or thirty times what we imagine, that we're works in progress and we're on our way somewhere and we're, we're learning to love you more and we're learning to love others better and we're learning to love ourselves in a healthy, biblical way. So teach us and lead us, we pray. And now collectively, as we pray this prayer together. May it be our prayer as we go forward into this new year, as we go forward as the disciples of Jesus Christ. Hear us, we pray. I'm going to ask you to lift your heads and look at the screen. And write out loud to pray this prayer together. It's coming. <laughs> you think you're the only one that goes to sleep during the sermon. The computer goes to sleep too. It has to be we awakened. There we are. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's so good. Stand. Let's do it again.
Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And everybody said together, Amen. let's sing our response. God bless. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.